You're listening to Golf Yeah, your masterclass in the lives, lessons, and aspirations of people who've built successful businesses and rewarding careers based on their love for the game of golf. Whether it's the obstacles they faced, the success they've achieved, or advice they offer, Golf Yeah provides the motivation and blueprint to convert your passion for golf into a full or part-time endeavor. Or maybe you just enjoy hearing stories from people who know a hell of a lot about the game. Either way, let's start exploring the business side of golf with your host, Gordon Andrew. Brian Thorne is a man who wears many different hats. He's been a freelance camera operator for the Golf Channel for the past eight years. He also does freelance production for ESPN and NFL Films. He teaches at the graduate level at Sacred Heart University in Connecticut. He runs his own production company called Veritas Productions, which is a full-service video production company. And in his spare time, he does things like coach his son's football game. Brian's agreed to give us some insights into what it takes to break into the video production side of professional sports broadcasting. So, Brian, welcome to Golf Yeah! Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Not a problem. My first question to you was going to be about your son's football, how your son's football team is doing this year. But, but last night you sent me a picture of you with Kelly Tillman with her arms wrapped around you and her eyes closed. So my first question is, are you the reason why Kelly Tillman left the Golf Channel? Exactly. 100%. Um, she just couldn't work around me anymore. You know, the feelings were too much. Overwhelming, she said, while she was on camera. So, yeah. So she said it was either, you know, it's either Brian or me. One of us has to go. And the Golf Channel said... <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, you have to go, Kel. I've been fortunate to work with Kelly for the last uh, seven and a half years. She retired in, I'm going to say March of last year. So we became really close. And that was actually the day of her last broadcast. So we did a, uh, we were at Arnold Palmer in Orlando. And so that was kind of the day of, and it's actually, I was, uh, I might have told you over email, there was a video where, I have proof that she said, you know what, if you weren't taken, you know, I would go for it. But, you know, he's taken. She points to the ring. So, And she's not having your baby. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, that is correct. Okay. All right. She's a mother and she is a great mother. She's this beautiful little girl. She's just someone that was super wonderful to work with and I'll definitely miss her. Okay. You know, it kind of distracted me and, and the conversation flow, but I'm glad we got that out of the way right up front. <laughs> so listen, what getting to uh, the business of the interview... Can you give us your backstory? I mean, how and why you uh, became interested in video production? Give us two minutes of that. Absolutely. So growing up, I was always around people that were very artistic and super talented. So I had a brother that was a drummer and it seemed like every person in the house was either a guitarist, a vocalist. Everybody had a certain talent. And I tried to play guitar. I tried to play drums. I tried to sing. I was a massive failure at all those things. And I think I was about... 12 or 13 and I picked up a video camera and we started making these little silly movies but all of a sudden I I always thought I wasn't creative and then I realized I was creative I just needed a tool to actually you know I I didn't have natural kind of quote-unquote talent so I realized my contribution to this creative bunch of people could be with a video camera and at the time it was tape to tape editing so it was kind of that discovery that You know, I needed an an instrument. I couldn't play a musical instrument, but it was just a different kind of instrument. So that's kind of where I got started and fell in love with video and video production. Okay. So in other words, so you started with a desire to express yourself through video rather than it wasn't a love of sports that drove you to where you are currently. 
Not exactly. So as much as, again, I, I played sports growing up and I, and I always loved certain sports. And what it was, was I actually, when I went to college, I thought I wanted to be a, a director. I thought I wanted to do film. And so my degree was actually in media studies and it was called digital communication. So at the time, nonlinear editing, such as Final Cut Pro and, and Avid, those were newer formats of editing. And I really thought I wanted to direct independent films. And I tell my students this all the time. You know, you set up a whole entire shoot for eight hours, and then you have, you know, take four, take five, take 19, take 20, and then you edit, and then you sit and you edit, and then you edit more, and then you render and edit. You just spend countless hours in an editing room. And the very first time that I did a sporting event, the excitement of having one take, one shot to do it all, and then when it's over, it's over. There is no take two, take three. There is no, right, let's go and hit the editing room. It was over. And I fell in love with the adrenaline of that and kind of it's all in. You have one opportunity because the event's not going to happen again. And that's, that's when I kind of pivoted to falling in love with live sports. So then you have to think a lot in advance about where you are, correct? I mean, your position, whether it be on the football field or on the golf course, do you make that decision or is there a producer somewhere telling you where to stand or what shot to take? Generally, there's a director and it just depends on the actual show. So most directors will try to get the same camera operators for all of their shows. And that's just because instead of talking you know, 20 cameras through shots, it's much easier when your cameras kind of instinctively know what you want. So all of a sudden they start guessing, properly guessing what you might like. So directors like to work with the same camera operators when they have a chance. Is it kind of like pitchers and catchers in baseball, you know, that you have like a psychic connection? Absolutely. Where, you know, the catcher, right, he's going to try to think, what's this pitcher going to want specifically? So as an operator, you do have obviously some flexibility during a game. Let's say if it's a football game, as the game flows, you know, instinctively you try to think, where is the next play going to be coming down the sideline? Or if somebody came off possibly with an injury or anything, you might not have to be told you can walk over to that player knowing that if this player is a quote-unquote important player to the team or the game, that the announcers are going to want to talk about that player and see him, you know, on a bike on the sideline. So it's some of it's instinct and sometimes, you know, you're, you're always following your director though. You know, he'll say, you know, camera six, get me so-and-so. And they'll tell you what player to find, what coach to find. Same thing on a golf course, what group to follow, that kind of thing. Okay. Let's back up a little bit. Take me from, or take the listeners from you as a young kid wanting to f- find your own you know, way to express yourself to where you are today, where you've got a lot of plates in the air. You're operating at a very high level of professional sports in terms of production. How did you get there? You want to go through that 20 years. Well, okay, <laughs> you want yeah. to just skip over. Yeah. Yeah. 20 <laughs> skip over 13 to 33. Yeah. Well, no, um, I think because it's probably interesting. Yeah. I think it just comes from trying so many different things and, you know, failing at a few and things of that nature. So coming out of school, the very first thing I did was I created Veritas Productions, which was just a a local video production house. I I started to see a need uh, where I could enter instantly into, you know, local advertising. You know, you watch local ads and you're like, God, these are, you know, these are just brutal, you know? So you start to think of, well, there's a market for this, you know? And I was very fortunate. Coming out of school, the first client I had was Benny Hanna. Wow. Yeah, they needed a video for 
they had just purchased a chain called Raw Sushi, R-A, and they needed something for all of their television screens uh, throughout all of these, these sushi restaurants. And so I was just fortunate enough, you know, I, I got the job. And so the very first thing I did was, was for them. And, and from there, I started, you know, thinking, okay, this is what I want to do. You know, I want to do independent video production. So how do you go from Benihana to <laughs> walking down the fairway at, at the Masters or at the Ryder Cup? That's a, that's a pretty big leap. Yes. But the very first job I got in television was through a relative. So I had an older brother who had always been working for ESPN, Fox Sports, ABC Golf at the time. And so he was always, you know, looking for people. I never showed much of an interest in live sports. And I think it was, you know, I was approaching 30. And again, I, I wasn't working as much as I wanted to. And that was the first time that I said, hey, you know, how can I get involved with the crew? And he put me in touch with a few people that he knew in the industry. And, you know, and that's how I, I came on into live sports. I got hired at the most entry level of entry level positions. I was a, a utility. You know, it's, it's the dirtiest job on the crew. It's you are running all the cables throughout a, a stadium, a golf course, you know, things of that nature. Whenever you see a camera, you know, a guy behind him holding the cable, you know, chasing him, that's what a utility does during the broadcast. The utilities also hook all the, the trucks up together as far as the broadcast trucks. So, so when you enter, the very first thing you're doing is something fairly technical, which is, you know, it's, it's just running cable, but it's not mindlessly running cables. And the group of people I was doing it with were a really smart bunch. They were like, you know, way overqualified, but they were happy to teach me, okay, you know, this cable and this is what it does and this is this cable and this is what it does and this is how you run it this is how you build cameras up this is you know audio gear this is everything so they kind of showed me i was greeted by an accepting crew and so the very first thing i did again was that kind of entry level live broadcast position and it's it's a utility and those positions are available so you don't have a relative in the business to be a schlepper to start at the bottom of the ladder no well it's always good to know if you know someone with the last name Thorne, you know, chances are it helps. <laughs> no, what's really great is I've run into people all over this country and they always say, hey, you know, uh, the first show I did, your brother was on. He really helped me out or your brother helped me get the first job. It's as basic, I think, as any business. It's networking. Although it helped that I had a, a brother doing this, a lot of the people, it, literally, it's just kind of a, a friend of a friend of a friend. And it's, you know, hey, so one of my best friends, he was doing carpentry, you know, and I couldn't do a show. I recommended him and, you know, he got onto a crew and now he works for Skycam. It's, you know, it's, it's your basic kind of networking. You get on one show and then you make a connection with two or three guys and they say, hey, you know, next week, you know, we're doing college softball. And then you go there and you meet someone at that venue that likes you. And he says, you know, hey, you know, in the fall we do we do some SEC football, you know, and so it's that kind of, it literally is just branching out, you know, to, at first, I think you take every job possible and, you know, now you have the, some flexibility to, to turn jobs down. So. Is the kind of stuff that you do now, Brian, in terms of, you know, the real high level camera work, can that be taught in school or does that need to be learned on the ground by the guys that you're talking about that kind of take you in and show you how to do stuff? Yeah, that's something that I think you have to learn. I mean, you have to get a camera in your hands to learn it. Um, just the nature and the size of the broadcast cameras. 
so even so at uh, at Sacred Heart, right, we the graduate instructor for a sports communication and media program. So our students specifically, you know, want to do sports media, and this is you know their fifth or sixth year. We start, like I said, just doing our own basketball games and our own football games, and that alone, you know, a lot of the bumps and bruises that can kind of get out of the way, and then you know we've seen our people go to you know the next level from there, doing larger college sports or some doing some professional sports, but generally you have to, you know, work your way up. You know, you have to be a utility for a year, two years, five years, whatever it may be, before you, you know, no one's just going to hand you right a camera and say, hey, can you run a handheld on a sideline? Yeah, you have to pay your dues. How much of what we see on television, whether it be a football game or a golf tournament, the guys that are actually taking the shots, are they, for the most part, freelancers or do the networks and cable channels have their own production crews? So when you're watching a tournament, the people on site, as far as your camera operators and your audio personnel that's on the course, they're all going to be freelancers. Now, back in the production trucks, it kind of depends on how large the show is. But again, most of your audio mixers, your video shaders, your replay people and your graphics people, they are also going to be freelance. And where you get into all the, the directors and producers. Now, those are going to be staff. You know, generally those are people, some of the directors even are freelance, but when you get to producers, field producers, associate producers, and then the next echelon, those are all going to be people that work for the, the company itself. Have the producers and directors come up through the ranks, through the production ranks? I mean, were many of them camera operators or graphic designers and, you know, production crew? No, it's usually kind of two different tracks. So usually the directors, they might have done some camera work early on, but generally they probably came through a different way. They might have even done some graphics and then, you know, might have been an assistant director and then kind of moved into the chair from there. The producers are generally coming from the other side. So they might have been doing, again, they might have been production assistants and then they might have moved into a stats role. They might have moved into research same thing with graphics, and then they've kind of gone towards field production, you know, maybe where they're out in the course with uh, the reporter, and they're producing that way, and then they've moved up to producing the entire show. Let's talk about golf a little bit. You also sent me another picture of you sitting, is that the Masters? I'm not sure which year it was, but it's a picture of you sitting with a bunch of people, and uh, Frank Nabilo has his uh, finger stuck in your ear. <laughs> I mean, do you hang out with these guys? Do you hang out with Faldo and Faraday and all these guys that we see in here during the season? Yeah, it, you know, I guess it depends on the person. You are together so much of the year. So, I mean, you are spending significant time away, right, from your loved ones. And the days sometimes are short, but generally they're long. So you do kind of, you get close with some people. Now, again, everybody is different. So, you know, I've met Faldo a hundred times and you know, I've met Faraday. Same thing. Some people like, again, Nablo is someone, yes, you spend time with at work and then you, you know, you see him at the hotel, you'd hang out and have a, a drink with him. And, you know, same thing with, uh, you know, Kelly was the same way. Sometimes you go back to the hotel and me, Kelly, and you know, two other people, you just have dinner. So you see a very different side of them, which for me, it's really cool. It's to see kind of who they are off the, off the air. But do you hang out with Bradshaw? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no okay no yes no so i in other words and, and again there's you know it depends on kind of what level you know working with talent it's very different what i can tell you is that some people are 
constant professionals and, and wonderful to work with. And like anybody else, some people, you don't know where they were the night before, or what happened that morning, you know, in their private life. Sometimes people come in and what might seem to be, you know, the chip on their shoulder or this and that. I've been fortunate to never really work with what I would call a, a diva. But, you know, you have that, like I said, everybody, you realize it's like when you go to work, you know, and you're having a bad day, there's just not a million people watching you. You know, and so it's like, you know, when you've just had like a, a blowout with your significant other, you don't have to go on TV right after. So, yeah. you know, you that, kind of realize it's a tough position they're in. But that's certainly a perk of the job, right? To hang out with, you know, what's generally referred to as talent. If they're guys like Faraday and you know, Nabilo and Kelly Absolutely. Tillman, I mean, that's that's kind of fun. It's a lot yeah. of fun, right? Uh, you, you get into what it is, is somewhat surreal in a sense. So you're watching the final round of the Masters. And I remember I was watching, and I think I was sitting between uh, Tariko and Duval. You know what I mean? And you're just watching at that moment all as fans, and you're not really thinking. You know, then I look back on it, or I'll just be talking to a friend of mine. So you know, where did you watch it? Well, I was, you know, I was, I was wedged <laughs> between Tariko and uh, and uh, David Duval, and they're like, "Do you think that's weird?" You know, <laughs> like, right. oh yeah, right. I guess it is. You know, yeah. Right. yeah. How much do cameras weigh? I mean. They look heavy, yes? I mean, how many pounds? So the broadcast cameras that, you know, for, for golf itself, you know, I'm just going to touch back on the question you asked before. That's something, if you want to do golf, I mean, there's no training for it besides, you know, a camera guy is nice enough to, to let you go on his tower, you know, during his, you know, a practice round during his lunch break. And he said, all right, you know, you can try to follow a golf ball because that's something that there's, there's no way you can teach yourself how to do it off a golf course. So those broadcast cameras actually are so heavy that they come in four pieces and you need two people to carry them up to the tower. So you have your tripod, which is extraordinarily heavy because the base needs to be. And you have the camera body. It's another two-man job. The lens itself, though, is the heaviest part. And that's either like, you know, you could put it on your shoulder and kind of try to hump it up there or it's two people carrying a box that's extraordinarily heavy too. So the broadcast cameras are super heavy. The handhelds obviously are, are lighter than that, but still they do a number on your shoulder and your back and then your wrist as well. Well, what do they weigh? Are we talking about 50 pounds, 100 pounds? Yeah, what? I think like 60 pounds. It depends if it has a battery on it or if okay. it's cabled. The battery adds some weight too. So it's if it's an RF camera, if it's wireless, then it's going to be heavier because of the battery pack. And people ask. So you have to be in fairly good shape or at least have a younger body to do some sports like golf if you're carrying a camera up and down the fairways versus maybe covering a football game where you're just standing on the sidelines and not walking very much. Is that true? Not exactly. Okay. What I was, it's funny. One of the, uh, when I read the question, I kind of left myself. And I don't mean this to me. There's just a lot of people that aren't in great shape in television. And again, it's not because of the walking or the, what it is, is that, you know, we're very fortunate. They feed us well, right? So they're going to feed you three meals a day. And when you go into catering, there's generally just, there's way too much food. You know, there's way too much food for any human. And then every trailer is going to have like craft services. And again, it's going to be way too much food. And it's just food kind of to keep you awake and keep you alert and everything. But there's generally a lot of sugar. And, you know, so I, I was thinking about it. And then you're like up at 5 a.m. You're back at 11 p.m. back to your hotel. And you might want to eat dinner then. You might want to have a, a drink. And by the, you know, so you're not well rested. You tend to eat a lot and you don't have a lot of time to like hit the gym. So it's funny. There's, there are a lot of people that aren't in great shape. And I, <laughs> I think that lifestyle is, you know, I'm not, 
So again, the guys that walk the course, you'll see them. Most of your handheld camera operators and RF camera operators are going to be, I mean, you have to be strong, that's for sure. But some of them you might not say are appear to be in the greatest shape. So, you know, you have to have a good back and you have to you have broad shoulders, I think, you know. So this will be a sexist question mm. and you know what it is. So are women able to, I mean, unless they're, they're really fit, are they able to carry? Absolutely. Do you have women? Do you have some women on the tour that? I do know two female handheld operators. What I would say is, in general, I don't even think it's because of the weight of the camera. What I'll say is that, as far as remote production, I think that I mean you're probably talking eight out of every ten people are probably it's male, you know, to two females. It's just a the actual field. It just seems like now again, if I were to look at my students. Same thing as I have, you know, maybe 24 men and six women at the graduate level that want to do this. So in the actual field, it's not they can't, it's, it's, it's more of a ratio thing as okay. far as interest. I think um, most of the women I work with, they are in graphics. You know, all of my bosses generally actually are female. So it's, yeah. you know, I would say in the field, it just feels so dominated by men, but not because it's like the good old boys and all that. It's just because a lot of, the women I work with, they have no interest in carrying a camera for 18 holes. You know, <laughs> they're, I mean, they're, really, they're, they're smarter you know, than the smarter. Guy. Exactly. They're <laughs> way smarter than that. You know? So give us a quick laundry list of some of the major events, any sport that you've covered over the course of your career. All right. Well, let's see. I've done uh, 10 Super Bowls uh, uh -huh. working for NFL Films. I've done NCAA basketball. I've done uh, the NCAA College Football Championship. As far as golf, I've done... I think it's seven Masters, eight PGA Championships, eight U.S. Opens. I've been to the Open Championship six times. I've done three Ryder Cups, three President's Cups. And then, you know, and, and at the local level. So I started, you know, a few years ago, I started directing Division One college uh, basketball and football. Again, small D1, but for me, that was the next step that I wanted to take. So... The biggest events, like I said, I've been, oh, I did two World Series as well. Oh. So, yeah, it was nice. So I, I can say I've hit the um, the Super Bowl, World Series, College National Championship, every golf major, and I did the Olympics in Rio. Cool. Is, yeah. and, uh, and I noticed uh, in your LinkedIn photo you have an Emmy in that. Mm. Is that where you got the Emmy? Yeah, it's just great Photoshop work is what it is, you know. It's, <laughs> Come on, yes. I had your name on it. It looked real. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. You know, that's just, I got to tell you, I'm, and I'm not being, it's just luck in the sense that I, you know, production is really about the team that you work with. And I work with a really great team. So we had been nominated for an Emmy two other times for, you know, with my golf channel crew, but uh, for the Olympics, you know, we won for the uh, outstanding technical team remote. So again, and it's just because the people I work with were great from the top down and it was such a big event. And um, so that's just being fortunate to be part of a really yeah, great yeah, group sure. of people. I'm sure there was some talent involved there. No. So listen, having done that many events, you get to see what goes on behind the scenes. So what I want to know is what the hell happened at the Ryder Cup? Was it uh, mass? Were they ready to jump out windows? I mean, what was going on there? Was there a lack of team spirit? I mean, do you, do you have a, a point of view on it? I think that, uh, and, and again, it's just, I don't think I'm talking out of school. I think that the European team genuinely likes each other. I think you take the, the personalities on that team, 
And I mean, you have a, first and foremost, right? The team itself has a ton of talent and the European side. You know, when you have Rory and Molinari coming off the uh, the Open Championship victory and Fleetwood, it was just, you know, like playing out of his mind. But these guys are, are actually, they seem to actually like each other. And Rose and Stenson and, you know, they seem like their team room. It really, it's that whole, like, you know, when you have a common enemy, right, you come together, but they all seem very like. Now, our team on paper, you looked and you're like, we should dominate this. Although, you know, as talented as the Europeans were, you say, you know, look at all the top 15 players in the world and how many we had on that team. And you start to wonder if it's just because that the personalities don't necessarily mesh. And, and what I would point to that is that if you look at the, th- the team that played the best, it was Spieth and Thomas. And these two guys really like each other. You know, they are true friends and, and they played well. And then possibly some of the other, you know, there's a lot of really interesting personalities on that team. I, I mean, really interesting personalities on the team. And well, can a captain actually make them a team or is it, isn't that going to have, have any impact? I, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, if I were to use football as a comparison, it's probably hard to motivate multimillionaires, right? And <laughs> right. Fa- really famous individuals, right? These are famous individuals. And again, it, it's amazing, actually, that they play. In the sense that, you know, people find out, you know, see, you know, like, how much do they get paid? And you say, for the Ryder Cup, nothing. You know, they're, they're, they don't get paid. You know, it really is prestigious enough that it still attracts all of the, the best players in the world. But it's, you know, how do you motivate this group of people that, you know, so I think of like football players, people go, well, they're millionaires too, you know, and they're famous. But they're all kind of getting their butt kicked together. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and this is kind of like, they've all ascended to fame and fortune, you know, by standing alone over a putt when it was just for themselves. So when you try to create, you know, a team event, most of them haven't played a team event since they were in college. So then, you know, I go, okay, but still, why do the Europeans do it so much better? And I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, maybe, again, I don't think a team captain can you know, in a two week period or in a six month period, you know, try to try to create this team, you know, atmosphere. You don't think it had anything to do with Donald Trump, do you? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> okay. I don't you know. You have to answer that. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, you could have done a lot of things, right? To, to unify or to not unify the team. What I'll say is that, right, I was in Hazel team and it was awesome. And that, I don't know if it's because the home crowd all of a sudden kind of built this. I mean, Ryder Cups are the best. But, I mean, it was so odd to be in France and just watching us play so flat, you know, where like Tony Finau was our guy. And if you looked at that entire roster, you said, you know, out of all of these names, like Finau, you know what I mean? As, I mean, right. by the way, you know, he's great, but you're thinking that, right, he's going to be like, you know, the, the, the happy surprise, but everybody else is going to be carrying their weight. And you just look across, I mean, we were so dominated for a day and a half. You're like, how is this possible? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So listen, I you also sent me a picture of you holding the Claret Jug. So which one of, of the majors do you most enjoy covering and why? That's a great question. You don't have a favorite? No, it's not that. See, like, like the Masters, if I was going to, you know, the Masters is fun to attend, to work it. It's a, it's a little bit different. And that's because, you know, Augusta is very particular in what they do. So, you know, it's like the mecca of golf. So it's fun to be there for sure. 
but it's not necessarily a loose environment, Yeah, you know? So there's a certain way that everything is done there. So remember, you know, half of what you do is, you know, logistics, you know, and it's like where you can put this, where you can put that. So sometimes if you go to a place that says you can't put that anywhere, you know, that makes your job a little bit tougher. <laughs> right. PGA Championship, again, it's like cool, but it kind of moves around and it's, you know, US Open, sometimes you find yourself like, again, in Shinnecock, again, not an easy place to get to, you know, so from a you might go, hey, this is cool to be at a U.S. Open for us. You know, it's like, hey, this is not cool that it takes, you know, there's a bus ride involved for like an hour. Wow. Yeah. You know, what I would say is overall, the Open Championship. To me, when you go to those courses, when you're at St. Andrews and someone says, oh, did you see the new course? And when's the new course? And they said, yeah, it was built in 18. Something right. new. And that's the new course. It's, I love that. When you're over there, these people don't like, you know, it's not that they golf. It's not that they like golf. It's they live golf. It's their, it's like their sport in a sense of that it was created there. Every time I'm at the Open, I'm like, this is the best major of the year. Yeah, because the fans have higher level of respect for the game and, and, and treat it accordingly, as you said. Absolutely. So on on that subject, how much of a pain in the butt are, are fans at a, at a U.S. tournament? Do they get in the way? Do they... Make your job tougher? Yes. Generally, what you'll say, what I would say is that it's, it all depends on the place too. So when you're in Hazeltine, you know, if you're in Minnesota and, you know, or, or if you're in Baltusrol and you're in Jersey, it's a way different store. So part of it's population, you know, differences and things of that nature. So, and what I mean by that is not to offend anybody, not, but I'm going to offend somebody. Now it's, you know, we're in Jersey and I hear someone go, Hey, Tiger. Hey, Tiger, your mother. You know what I mean? Like that kind of like you, you get drunk people. The question is, what kind of drunk people? Are they happy drunk people or are they angry drunk people? No. Yeah. Like I said, the, the crowds are great. And, you know, obviously like a PGA Championship this year, it was thunderous. I mean, with Tiger in it yeah. on Sunday with Brooks. I mean, I've never felt that kind of energy. And remember when I started was kind of right when Tiger was going through kind of his, his worst points. Right. So I hadn't been at a major, you know, although I was the open and on Sunday he had a lead for a, a second. I hadn't been at a major where he was that close to closing it out and to see what he does to the sport and what he does to the crowd. The crowds are what make it worth going to because, you know, literally the ground was shaking. Were you in that crowd following him up the fairway to the 18th? I was not. Well, so we were positioned right kind of we were on the other side of the 10th fairway so i could see the 18th green and we were getting ready to do our post game show which was facing the clubhouse uh, our backdrop was the clubhouse and to the right was the 18th hole so we were watching but i was not actually working during that so i got to just kind of be a spectator during it yeah but you felt it didn't you oh and it was unreal so yeah, yeah. I, I mean um, i was just watching on television i could feel it was really pretty moving you know oh yeah especially given what he'd been through. So let's let's talk about non-golf for a second. I mean, you, you do football. So are you always conscious about getting wiped out on the sidelines by some, some wide receiver? Is that a risk? Yeah. And again, if, if you're paying attention to the game, generally it's not too risky in that sense is that if you're following play, you're going to see it coming at you and you can know to go left, right, or step back. And this is actually where being a utility, following a camera, Right, you're going to do that before your handheld camera. So you kind of always have your eyes peeled, and that's why you'll notice that you know 
people that are working aren't like texting on the sideline or this and that. You are paying attention to to everything. Where you, you could probably get in trouble is if you're shooting some crowd shots for kind of that reaction of people cheering or it's like third down and people are slamming on the side of kind of the, the banner in the front row. You know, you're getting a crowd shot or you're shooting a player or a coach. That's when, if you have your back to the field at some point where you might be at risk of having, you know, somebody take you out. If you're facing the field and somebody's coming at you, generally you should move. <laughs> um, have you been taken out or do you know anybody that's been seriously hurt? I've been taken out in basketball because that I've been a handheld underneath a hoop. That one, you don't have a lot of reaction time in the sense that you're trying to get, you know, guys, you know, fast break and he's coming down. But even in that scenario, you start to think to yourself, this might not end up, you know, good for me. <laughs> Again, you're going into replay. So you're trying to make sure you get like, you know, the layup and not get run into. And also you don't obviously, you know, you don't want to hurt the player. The player doesn't want to hurt you. It's just in that competitive moment. They're going to be flying full speed towards you. So I've been run into, but never hurt. I did. I knew a female operator in, in MMA who she came in after the fight was over, and the guy had just won, and he climbed to the top of the cage, and then he did a backflip, and he landed on top of her. Oh my god! So you know, and that was you know serious enough that she hasn't worked. You know, I think since that incident because he kind of landed like on her. I think it was her neck and her shoulder. And again, it was just one of those things that right right after a fight's over, cameras come in and you have the victor kind of, you know, in the face of the cameras. You know, that's what I told, you know, and it was just he to celebrate. He climbed up and just did a backflip and didn't look to see where he was landing. And she just got landed on. But plenty of operators I know have, you know, especially in football, handheld. Have, again, it's, you know, it's easy to have someone take you out. If you just are second late, you know, so. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your uh, your teaching gig. You you teach grad, uh, graduate students at Sacred Heart University in uh, yeah. Fairfield, Connecticut. So who are these guys and what kind of jobs are they looking for? Uh, do you have any success stories that you can share? Oh, yeah. We, I mean, we have plenty. We started five years ago. And what the idea was, you have a lot of these. Put it this way. I mean, I, for 125 days a year, I work for Golf Channel. And that means, right, there's, there are these channels that exist. You know, they even have racing channels, biking channels. There are all these niche kind of, you know, markets now. And now, like I said, every conference has its own network, the SEC network, the, you know what I mean, the Pac-10 network. That, so there are jobs that exist that didn't before. You know, even if you look at social media, you know, that, that you know, you got your Bleacher Reports and your Snapchats. ESPN does their own, you know, Snapchat and uh, Barstool, right? There are media jobs that didn't exist five years ago as far as that. So I have a combination of some kids I get are straight out of college and want to do, some people want to go athletic communication. So they want just to, to work for a university or work for a team specifically. So I have people that want to say, hey, I want to work for the Jets. You know what I mean? Their social media, that kind of, um, and then we have people that want to be on air talent. And then we have people, again, that want to produce direct, technical, direct, whatever it may be. So we have these two brand new studios in this beautiful brand new building. And it's it's just like, it's a wild place for me to teach because everything works. And it's like, it's gorgeous. So I have students that are on TV all over the country. So I have, you know, students that are on air in Atlanta, which again, it's, it's a pretty big market, you know, and Green Bay. So well, one of my students did a stand up, you know, on the field for the Minnesota Vikings, you know, two weeks ago, I think it was. And one of my students was at Lambeau, you know, and she was doing her stand up 
right outside of the stadium there. And that's, you know, you get really fired up when you see, you know, your students on TV, you know, in a, at a major sporting event. Sure. I've, I've also seen my students like on the field at Super Bowl before, you know, that's, I have these pictures like with former students, you know, and it's like, we're both credentialed on the field of the Super Bowl. And that to me is, is awesome. So. Yeah. That's great. And I would think also one of the attractions, if I were thinking about going to a, a school for that type of career, having a professor who's in the field and not just a, a theoretician, somebody who's actually connected and who might be able to kind of connect the dots for me, just the way that you talked about at the beginning in terms of you know who you know and introducing you to people that are going to make your career happen. I think that's that's pretty cool. I hope they're paying you enough there. Yeah, I'm like in love with it. And it's a great balance with the you know, with the, the live sports. But yeah, so for instance, I was teaching when the Ryder Cup happened this fall. So I teach you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I fly out, you know, Friday, and we set up for the Ryder Cup. So I, I have to ask somebody to teach my class for one week, but then I come back and I can talk about, I mean, this just happened, you know, and this technology. And even what we did there was something a little bit different as far as the technology of it all. They're starting to figure out how to send video feeds and audio feeds kind of back back to the United States and you could have someone direct from a different spot. So all you need on site technically now are some camera operators and some audio engineers and you send the pictures and the sound back, but it all goes through fiber optics and they could be in Stanford where you have your announcers in Stanford and a control room, you know, cutting the cameras and, you know, cutting the audio and mixing the audio or back in Orlando at golf channel headquarters. Like, so this is new technology where now, you can just send the pictures back and the sound back, but you could have your announcers, graphics, replays, producers, everybody back in the United States. So, okay. Yeah. And so I come back and I can talk about, hey, this is what's happening right now. You know. <laughs> so. And the good news for your students is that it, it's a career in a field that's growing. You know, it's not like a dying industry where you're going to be replaced by somebody or a machine. Yeah. If you look, it's like I said, you have, now you have... You know, 10 years ago, I, you could watch Sports Center in the morning. And now it's, you know, the NFL Network, the you know, morning show, and you have yeah. Fox Sports 1, and you have, I mean, there's a lot of people talking about sports, and that's what's great, is that, you know, there are opportunities. The other kind of student I get is I've gotten plenty of students in their 40s. So I knew, I knew a guy from uh, Wilton who was just, you know, married and three kids, and he had worked in finance his whole life, and he was, he said, I was just really unhappy. So he left his job and, you know, he's now he's calling games, I think, you know, for, uh, you know, Yale games or, you know, uh, University of New Haven. You know, he's, he just decided he was so miserable at what he was doing. He said, you know, this is my passion. I love sports. I want to talk about sports. So, you know, he does radio, he does, you know, TV broadcasts. And so we have people that had had other careers, but in their 30s and 40s decided like, they might have been lucrative, but I'm absolutely miserable. So they've, you know, it's, it's great. I've had students that are older than me, and it's, it's, I enjoy it because they bring uh, so much to a class. And again, I, I love their kind of like mature approach to to school in general. So I, I, I love the mix, right? You have your 23 year olds, and I got 45 year olds, and you know, everywhere in between. That's great. Listen, if if you're looking for, if the school's looking for a marketing gimmick, what they can do is take your picture with Kelly Tillman and just write a headline <laughs> that says, "This could be you." All right. This I mean, you guys, you. you guys have to shut the doors down because you'll be uh, your classes uh, will be overflowing. Yes, and she smells good too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that. And and by the yes. way, we're going to post all these pictures on the uh, on the Golf Yeah website. So. <laughs> So they have to go there to see them, and I'm thanks for uh, thanks for sending them to me. 
So oh, absolutely. So listen, because I've kept you on for a long time here, what would you say? Well, two questions. First of all, I mean, what are the sources of personal inspiration that you have that have kind of kept you going and, and motivated you throughout your career? And then lastly, what's your best advice for someone you know who wants to break into this field? The first is, you know, the motivation. First and foremost, it's I have two brothers in the industry and both of them helped me at the very beginning, you know, find these right certain jobs or connections. And, you know, I realized everything I do is, I, I, you know, I do it somewhat for our family in the sense that, you know, I want us to have right, a good name in the industry. I want us to have a good you know, reputation in the industry. For me, though, it's once I started doing it, I realized, right, the people that kept working were the people that, you know what I mean, that showed up early, that stayed late, that would do anything, you know, kind of that willingness to do anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as odd as it may sound, I think one of the reasons I got my my gig originally with the Golf Channel was as something as silly as somebody needed a refrigerator moved, you know, and it was like, hey, this needs to go there. And I watched, you know, 20 people say, well, that's not my job, you know, and I was thinking, all right, you know, I'll take it. And I got together with, you know, two other guys and we moved this refrigerator, you know, and this is eight years ago or whatever. It's something. And I thought that when we went to France this year for the Ryder Cup, you know, I'm still there and those two other guys are still there. But I know, you know, those other 17, 18 guys that we were with that day, I haven't seen them. And I think so for me, it's, you know, it's that willingness to do whatever it takes to make the show happen. And it doesn't matter at what level, you know, it's like drop that, you know, the kind of, it's not my job or it's not, you know, I'm better than that. Yeah. There's nothing I wouldn't do, you know, at this point, like I said, for, for Golf Channel in the sense that they've, they've provided me with so much, whatever they ask me to do. That's I'm going to do it because, yeah, I mean, so that's what kind of pushes me at work. It's because I do love the people I work with. I do love the people I work for. And, I, you know, I have a pretty sweet job. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to do what it takes to keep it. Um, well, that's great. As as getting, you know, that's great advice in any profession. You know, the willingness to pitch in and shovel shit and, uh, you know, not be above anything you're asked to do or not asked to do. So that's great. Yeah. So how do we plug whatever you need plugged? Um, and I have to tell you a funny story about Veritas production. I had a client and I suggested that they name a newsletter, Veritas something or other. And they rejected it because they said people would not know what Veritas means. And I just scratched my head <laughs> and I said, really? You know, so anyway, I was really impressed that you named your company Veritas because it suggests to me that you're pretty smart, I guess. Right. Yeah, I know Latin. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, yeah. I thought it was pretty well known too. I thought that people knew at least, or even if they would look it up, they would say, "Oh, oh, well, you know that you know something to pique a little interest." So, plug your company. Oh no, no, it's honestly. I by the way, I just wanted to touch back. You said, "How do people get in the?" I think you said, "How do people get in the industry?" Yeah, advice for people who want to break in. I thought that actually your shoveling That's shit my, advice good. was the. Uh, that was it. Okay, <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> How do they find you, your production company, and what do they need to know about it? So Veritas Productions, it's just a group, basically, of freelancers that, you know, we realized that a lot of people, I thought, were overcharging for video production. And it's because they have, you know, like a a storefront somewhere in South Norwalk, right? And they're paying tons of money to hold that spot. So everything is kind of overpriced. So we thought, let's get a group of freelancers together, you know, make a team and make affordable video production. So... It's Veritas Productions, you know, it means truth, right? For those. Does it? I don't don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I thought it meant money. Yeah, exactly. What's your uh, website? 
It's uh, veritasproductions.com. And so it's uh, V-E-R-I-T-A-S and then productions with an S, veritasproductions.com. Again, we have, you know, I have a talented director of photography, a talented sound person, a talented editor, you know, a talented after effects person. And like I said, we're just a, you know, if you need two people, we have two people. You need 20 people, we have 20 people. And, you know, it's just a collaborative effort type of uh, thing. And I think that what we offer is we don't gouge people that want to do individual video production. Yeah, they're working with talented people and they're not paying for the overhead mm-hmm. associated with big, exactly. fancy firms. So thanks, Brian. This has been great. And I've enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure our listeners will as, as well. And uh, I'm going to be looking for you on the sidelines and on the fairways. Uh, well, I, my next, I have a little break, so it's kind of nice, but my next show, um, I'll be at the uh, the national championship for college football with ESPN. I think that's on the Monday, the 7th of January this year. So. Oh, cool. We'll be looking for you. Yes. Thanks again. (laughs) Sure. If you need anything else, let me know. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Good talking. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Yeah, featuring another success story from the business side of golf. Maybe it's time to get more serious about making golf the center of your life, not just the highlight of your weekend. Head over to GolfYeah.com for more great content, including show notes, testimonials, and links to valuable resources. That's G-O-L-F-Y-E-A-H.com. 